Hey everybody, it's Michael here, and you're listening to the Good E-Reader Radio Show. Welcome back to the Goody Reader Radio Show. My name is Michael, and of course, I'm joined today by Jeremy Greenfield. How are you doing? I'm okay, Michael. How are you? Not too bad. So, I guess there's a number of ebook reports that have been published really just in the last like two days. Uh, one of them talks about how ebooks have seen a bit of a, 
a leveling off, and this kind of falls in line with a lot of industry analysts, you know, at major publishing events, Book Expo, uh, Digital Book World, O'Reilly Tools for Change, London Book Fair. Really, everybody's kind of saying that 2013, we're not going to really see that exponential growth in ebook sales that we've seen uh, last year and the year before, where they were really growing by almost like late single digits, but generally double digit figures. So how surprised are you about this uh, new report by, uh, I believe it was the Association of American Publishers? Yeah, I, I am not that surprised by the overall message, which is that revenue growth is slowing. There are, there are a couple things within that message that surprised me. First of all, the amount that, at which revenue growth slowed. For many years, the ebook revenue in the U.S. was doubling, tripling, quadrupling uh, year over year over year. Um, and of course, that can't last forever. I mean, you, you double and triple and quadruple so many times, and uh, you're you. That, that's just way too much and way too big and way too much to expect from the industry. Um, but last year it slowed down to double-digit growth for the first time uh, ever. And this year, you know, what we're seeing through the first six months of the year for adult trade eBooks is it's up about five and a half percent, or actually 4.8 percent. I'm sorry, and, and that's a lot slower than I thought. Uh, that, that it would be. Uh, more people have devices these days. Uh, more people are used to reading ebooks. Younger people who might be more inclined to try digital things and use digital things are, are, are getting older and becoming consumers. I mean, every year that passes, that trend gets stronger, uh, and it's positive for these digital content industries. Um, so I was sort of surprised to see that very slow growth. And then the other number that really surprised me was um, the leveling off of what percentage of revenue for book publishers. Uh, is is ebook revenue? Um, you know, a couple of years ago, when I first started Digital Book World, I asked people, you know, what percentage of publisher revenue will be ebook revenue in 2015? And I got numbers all the way from 50% to 80%. Well, 2015, you know, we're not too far away from it, and right now we're hovering around this 28, 27, 29% range. Um, and that, that's just surprising to me because that number really isn't ticking up anymore. Um, for, through the first four months of the year, publishers were getting about 28% of their revenue from eBooks, and through the first six months of the year, the number is basically down about a percentage point, but pretty much about the same. So those, those two things have really uh, surprised me. And I think if you're a publisher and you're thinking about the industry and, and sort of the planning that you need to make, um, I don't think it means that you stop investing in digital. I think it maybe means you take your foot off the gas just a hair uh, in terms of your, your expansion plans in that area because it looks like um, you know, print has been very resilient and, and it's here to stay for a lot longer than people thought. So one thing that I was kind of surprised at was that ebooks did increase by, you know, roughly about 5%, 4.8 to be exact, but audiobooks have actually increased by about 12%. Is that surprising? I don't think so because I think that it really goes hand in hand with the growth uh, of, of digital reading. Um, except for that, you know, audiobooks are sort of a, always been marginal for the business. They've never been a huge, huge part of the business. And they're not exactly the same thing as sort of sitting down and opening up a book or opening up an e-book. 
Um, but what, what the reason I think we may be seeing higher growth right now is that you know more people have smartphones than ever and uh, download audio books onto the smartphones to listen to the same way they do with podcasts. And I think that that, that, that trend, the growth of those mobile devices, uh, really plays in nicely uh, with audiobooks. And at the same time, you have people in the industry who understand this is happening, and they're creating more audiobooks. Uh, there are uh, self-published authors who are creating audiobooks now, and small publishers who now have very inexpensive tools to make audiobooks out of their books. So there's a bigger catalog, and there's more people uh, with the kinds of devices that make it much easier to read audiobooks. Yeah, I mean, that 12% gain actually on paper seems like a lot, but really audiobooks only accounted for roughly about $61 million from January all the way to June, whereas ebooks accounted for $647 million. So you really see that large gulf. You know, personally, I actually just started using audiobooks relatively at the beginning of the year, um, and I had really never really used them before, but I find that my playlist for music is getting a little bit played out, and instead of hunting around for new artists and new tunes all the time at, you know, web sort, websites like Pitchfork or, you know, other, other sort of services like SoundCloud, uh, I find myself just getting, you know, audiobooks, and I find that when I first tried audiobooks like three or four years ago, the pr production values were relatively not up to snuff. Whereas I listened to the audiobook recently of World War Z, and they had, I think it's like a star-studded cast. You know, they have, I think, roughly about 20 to 30 well-known actors that are actually doing voices in this. And I think that that's, very solid because I, I know that that book, the, the World War Z book, was actually one of the highest performing audio books of the year, mainly just because it had that star-studded cast and not to mention a, a Hollywood movie. Do you think that the higher the production values on audiobooks, the more that audiobooks will grow as a whole? Uh, you, know, you know, I'm always very conservative about stuff like this, so I think that the answer is yes, but it's it's marginal. Um, I don't think that higher production values for audiobooks is going to change the way all people like consuming books and media. So probably it will help. It may help people like you decide, you know, every once in a while to pick up the audiobook. But I don't think it's going to be a game changer for the industry. Um, you know, another thing that really jumped out at me of the numbers is is what's happening with children's ebooks. Uh, children's ebooks are down very significantly versus last year. And the reason for this is, you know, the Hunger Games basically, you know, made last year a huge year in the ch in the children's ebook arena. Um, and the, there's nothing really like the Hunger Games out this year that that is exploding in the same way. And sales of the Hunger Games are falling off. But what I discovered is that if you look at ebook sales for children for two years ago, you're still seeing a really nice growth curve over two years. So uh, while children's ebooks are down um, by about half this year versus last year. Um, they're up. They're they're more than double of what they were two years ago. So even though that so that spike has gone away, it didn't go back down to the same level it was two years ago, which I think goes to show, you know, more kids are 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 reading digitally. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at the statistics, the revenue was down uh, to eighty three million dollars from one hundred and fifty three million dollars in two thousand twelve. So that's a forty five percent decrease for children's books. 
I, you know, we both are, are familiar with Storia, the, the Scholastic Digital Platform, and there's a number of, of digital only kids, uh, you know, platforms out there. Uh, Nook Kids is, is fairly popular for people who have the Barnes and Noble line of tablets, and more people are getting into, you know, kids books. Do you think that the reason kids books are declining is because you know, we haven't really seen another Harry Potter, another Hunger Games, uh, another sort of big ticket draw that's getting people to buy the ebooks. Or do you think that children's ebooks are getting a little bit more complicated with all the interactive features and narratives, and, you know, uh, they're more or less turning almost into interactive games? Yeah, I think it's a combination. It's mostly what you first said. You know, there isn't a blockbuster this year like there was last year, but still the numbers are up. Um, versus two years ago. But the other factor is I think there's a lot of time that was spent uh, for children with books, you know, many, many years ago. And instead of migrating to ebooks, it's migrating to, you know, online digital things and apps and things that aren't really tracked uh, with this, this survey. So I think that, you know, some of the growth that you're seeing in the adult trade makes a lot more sense because adults are still reading a lot of books. And the print book experience is very much like the ebook experience, and they're just reading a lot more ebooks now because ebooks are available. Um, but with children, you know, you used to buy your kid a bunch of kids' books, you know, many, many years ago. Um, now you might buy them some kids' books, you might buy them some kids' ebooks, but you also might buy them an app for your phone uh, to, to play with or to use. Um, so I think a, a lot of that attention is being split uh, with new digital products. Do you think that the slow growth of ebooks this year is relative to ebooks coming down in price? I don't think that the two are related. Uh, I haven't given this question a lot of thought, but you would assume that as ebook prices decrease, and they have been decreasing as, as we've been tracking them, that, that sales would rise. Um, overall, and I don't know if that's happening in aggregate. I think what you can show is that you know when a popular title has its price dropped, generally sales go up considerably if there's appropriate promotion to go along with it. Um, but what we're seeing through our bestseller list right now is that ebook prices are hovering near all-time lows, and they have been for the the past month. So if you look at the top 25 best-selling ebooks this week, and you average out the the price charged for them. Um, it's about it's about five dollars and eighty one cents is the average uh, across the top twenty five. Um, you know, a year ago that average for the top twenty five was over well over ten dollars. Um, so ebook prices have have really just come down for the most popular ebooks. And if you're somebody who goes to the Kindle store or one of the other bookstores and you just say, hey, let me see what's on the bestseller list, and you you look at the bestseller list and you just look at the prices, the numbers that you're going to see next to the titles are it's, it's just vastly lower in general uh, versus last year. Now, without getting too much into the rigmarole of why ebook prices have come down with, you know, uh, the Justice Department and uh, the European Commission kind of smiting Apple because they accused them of, of price fixing and, and more or less ebooks have come down because, you know, a lot of uh, court settlements in the Justice Department case were basically, you know, we, we, we're not going to fix prices anymore. We'll let uh, e-book resellers establish their own prices. We'll just give a recommended, you know, price for it. Do you think that these low e-book prices will decrease 
you know, in the next calendar year? Will they level off? Will they increase? Where do you see uh, from the data that you're looking at how ebook prices will will they remain consistent going forward, or what, what are your thoughts? You know, it's so hard to say. Uh, I've tried to make predictions about this many, many times, and, and I've been wrong almost every single time. Uh. And I think, you know, one of the reasons is that there has been a lot of, you know, events, like for instance what happened with the Justice Department, that have really changed the game. And so every time you try to predict something, you know, you may not know that that big Justice Department event is going to happen, and when it does, it just it changes, throws everything out of whack. So that's one reason it's really hard to predict. Another reason is that, um, you know, the retailers and the publishers, it, it's the Wild West out there, and they're just changing their strategies all the time, and they're experimenting with things all the time. So we found um, uh, over a year ago that when a publisher set the price of a book at $8, um, really there was no difference in sales when, when the price of the book was set at $10. So you'd think that you should always set your books at $10 if you're going to have them you know, at $8 instead because you're just leaving money on the table, that, that extra $2 that consumers seem to be willing to pay. But now publishers are experimenting with all different kinds of price points, and we're seeing that this sort of 8 to 9.99 range that used to be very, very popular has completely fallen out of favor. So for instance, if you look at our bestseller list this week, there's only one book that is priced between $8 and $9.99 in the top 50. Wow. And there's none, there are none in the top 25. So there's sort of this, this thing that's developing where you've got some of the bigger, newer titles that are being priced above $10 for the most part. Um, some of them aren't. Some of them are discounted by the retailers. And then you've got this big gap between those and the ones that are sort of priced lower. We're talking about self-published titles and backlist books and deeply discounted books that are in this sort of 3 to 7 to $8 range. Um, and of course, you still have some of the, the experimental stuff happening in the, the zero to three dollar range, like self-published um, books or, or small presses trying to get on the bestseller list, or even big publishers putting out short works. Um, like Lee Child has put out, um, you know, short works to, to to promote his books before they come out, and they're priced at you know ninety nine cents or a dollar ninety nine or two ninety nine. So the, right now with pricing, it's the wild west. But if I do have to make a prediction, I would say that. I don't see how it can go much lower. Um, you know, it's really around five or six dollars right now, and you know, how much lower can it go? Uh, they're, they're not going to start pricing all ebooks at three or four dollars, and and uh, you know, I imagine that that big frontless books are still going to come out, and the publishers and the retailers are still going to try to price them above ten dollars if they can to to sort of make their money. Um, but I just don't see how how the price could go any lower. So I, I'm just going to make a safe prediction here and say that the average price. It's just not going to go any lower than five dollars um, for the rest of this year, and then the holiday season will be here, and, and I'm sure the publishers and retailers will, will try out new strategies. Um, so I don't really know, but I don't think it's going to go much lower. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I've always wondered about with ebook pricing is sort of mirroring what the print world does when a new title comes out. It's in hardcover format, ranges in price for you know twenty dollars, sometimes all the way to forty dollars. And then when the paperback comes out, you know it's it's like nine ninety nine. But the ebook world has doesn't really see those sort of price decreases where a new frontless book will come out. It'll be expensive at first, and then you know over time it'll go down in price for the people that are waiting for the deals or the people that are, you know, um, economically challenged, if you will, that are, you know, they don't have the money to spend every month on a series of new books and they wait for the books to come down in price. 
have you ever, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, for me, I, I kind of think that that would almost be a good strategy where, you know, you know, you look at like, say what like Lee Child or Dean Coots has done, where they release uh, a series of short stories, price them really cheap, and, and draw attention to the new book that comes out that's at regular price. But when that new book comes out at regular price, it's always consistent at that price, whether it comes out tomorrow or a year from now. Do you think that it would make sense for the industry to sort of mirror what's done with hardcovers and paperbacks, but in a digital form? Uh, I don't think so. I think that, you know... Ebooks are are their own form factor, just like paper books or paperbacks and, and hardbacks are. So I would sort of slot them in in that way. Um, that it's another sort of way of reaching people at a very at a, at a certain price point and sort of treat it strategically that way. I don't know if there's you know uh, a discounted, less expensive to produce ebook offering that that can capture. Uh, readers differently or better, but I do think that you know what you described, which is the price kind of slowly coming down after those first few weeks or months on sale. Um, you know, I think that's what more mirrors the sort of hardcover paperback, um, you know, sales cycle uh, for eBooks. All right. Well, we've all heard of the Texter Beagle, and the the company has really messed up with their e-reader. They initially wanted to give it away for free uh, with a mobile contract, and uh, they kind of billed their e-reader as the world's cheapest e-reader. They were really trying to go for that $29 uh, mark, but it kind of fell short because no major phone carrier would actually you know, bundle their e-reader with any type of phone, and so the company is sitting on a lot of inventory and not getting a lot of sales because they're trying to charge too much for a really inferior product. So it comes down to the issue of, you know, what can the e-reader industry do to have a higher adoption rating because digital e-readers themselves, like the e-ink-based readers like the Kindle Paperwhite and uh, the Kobo Aura, they tend to sell, but they don't sell as well as a lot of the tablets on the market, like uh, the Google Nexus and uh, Kindle Fire and, you know, um, the Samsung uh, line of tablets. So in order for the e-reader industry to grow, what some companies are doing is they're creating these um, accessories for smartphones. And uh, during IFA, uh, Pocketbook and Plastic Logic debuted a new device that basically was a case for your phone, but it, it gave you a split screen. So you had an e-ink screen, and then you had your phone screen. And via the app, you can actually put whatever was on the phone screen on the e-ink screen. So it's almost like you have a 5-inch e-paper reader that costs, you know, around $19, $20. Do you think that this is the magic price point and the type of accessory that might catch on, you know, kind of going forward when they actually see like a major commercial release? This is a really tough problem for for the publishers and the ebook retailers, which is that you know e-readers, especially in the U.S., are falling out of favor, and e-readers have been linked very strongly with sales of ebooks. So if uh, I have a choice between buying a tablet, or, or a consumer has a choice between buying a tablet or a reader, and they go with a tablet instead, even if they intend to read ebooks, uh, what we're seeing is that they tend to buy fewer ebooks, they tend to read fewer ebooks because the tablet has a lot more going on, and it's really not a dedicated e-reading device. 
so as growth of, of e-reader adoption slows, um, you know, this is, this is problematic for publishers and for, for e-book retailers. Um, you know, the, the idea of a free e-reader was really popular for the past couple of years, and, it, and the Texter Beagle seems like the, the closest thing to it. I mean, it was going to be about $13 uh, with, you know, a cell phone contract, I think was the intention. Um, and, you know, the, the, it basically it all fell through, and the company announced that they were you know, discontinuing going after that sort of thing. Um, and it, you, know, see, you see these devices, though, that are, you know, accessories for cell phones that have e-ink screens. Um, and this might be a little bit of hope for, for these retailers and these publishers. I mean, you can imagine that perhaps a retailer like Kobo or Amazon or Barnes & Noble could make a deal with a company like um, Radio Shack and, and Samsung and say, well, every time you sell um, a, a, a Samsung Galaxy 4S or 4, that or S4, I'm sorry, that we will uh, subsidize you throwing in uh, one of those e-reading cases, and you know, give uh, you know a $50 credit at our e-book store um, for use with that e-reading case. And I, I think that's maybe a little far-fetched and a little bit on the creative side, but you can just imagine that if e-ink expands beyond just the dedicated e-reader that you go and buy just for buying e-books, um, you might see a little bit of a resurgence in this area, and certainly a resurgence of the idea of a very cheap or subsidized or free uh, device that is more geared toward e-reading than other things. Yeah, I totally agree, and I, I follow patents pretty closely in terms to, in terms to see, um, you know, what type of new things are, are being patented, and that kind of is an indication on, you know, a year two or, or two from now what we'll actually see in the marketplace. And so far, this split-screen e-reader case for phones has not been patented yet. So I could kind of see, you know, Amazon or Kobo or Barnes & Noble and the major companies kind of really taking a strong look at this and, you know, seeing if it's a, a viable alternative for them. Already you're seeing uh, Plastic Logic, which is, uh, you know, in the UK they have a Dresden facility and they have an R&D lab in California. And then Pocketbook, which is mainly uh, a U Eastern European company, have not really seen a lot of success in North America, but do do well in Eastern Europe, Russia, and uh, in Asia. And they have split-screen uh case for the Samsung Galaxy S4, and they announced uh, a new one coming out soon for the iPhone. So they're kind of targeting these mainstream phones that everyone has. And if you look at the sales figures, obviously smartphone sales uh, really trounce e-reader sales and tablet sales almost combined at, at a huge ratio. So Everybody has a phone. Everybody's usually always upgrading to a phone. And so being able to give you that e-reader experience on a device you already own without having to spend hundreds of dollars is something fairly compelling about that. Yeah, and, and it'll also look at the e-reading numbers on phones. Um, you know, if you look at some Pew data uh, from the Pew Internet and American Life Project, uh, you can extrapolate that in 2012, um, among people who read ebooks in the U.S., which is a little bit under a third of people in 2012, um, nearly 10% of them read an ebook on their phone. And, and I read a lot of ebooks on my phone. You know, Michael Tamlin of Kobo has told me on a number of occasions that he almost exclusively reads ebooks on his iPhone. 
Um, so it is something that people do. And because it's the most popular device, and because it's becoming even more popular, a, a study came out today from Pew that said 90% uh, of Americans have cell phones. And it showed that half of uh, cell phone Americans, cell phone-owning Americans download apps and do a number of other things. Um, so if, if this idea of e-reading on your phone or with your phone case, for instance, can become more popular and can get wider acceptance, I mean, that is a way for these retailers and these publishers to get into everyone's pocket, uh, literally and figuratively. Um, so I think that that's a possibly exciting prospect. And then you see you know, companies like Oyster, uh, the new e-book subscription service, uh, basically gearing everything it's doing toward phone reading. Uh, Oyster is built for mobile devices. It only exists on the iPhone right now, and it's not. It's it's going to Android next. It's going to Android phones next. Um, so I think that this phone thing is something that publishers need to be paying attention to. Yeah, I think I totally agree. I mean, you have to focus on the, the hardware that everyone has, and if everybody has phones, that should be one of your top priorities, if not the highest priority, in order to get more people, you know, uh, involved in whatever ecosystem you're promoting, whether it's an Oyster, whether it's an Amazon, or whether it's a Kobo, or, you know, a number of other startups, you know, or, or other companies. For me personally, I, I can't, you know, I can't read anything on my phone. It's just, it's too small of a screen. I mean, I have like five inch phones. I have like staring at three right now, uh, everything from BlackBerry to Android to an iPhone. And I find that it's just, it's too small of a screen to really be engrossed like in a, in a novel. I guess it's just mm -hmm. because I grew up reading paperback books and hardcover books and like the dimensional size of each page is well over the size of your average smartphone screen. So I, I find that I just can't get into it. But I wonder if people who grow up reading on their phone really don't have that comparison where they never grew up reading physical books. They grew up like reading on their tablets or their, on their smartphone. So they're inherently used to that smaller size. Um, yeah, I think you know one of the great things about the the ebook and the digital reading revolution is that you know there's something for everyone. Uh, if you don't like ebooks, great, stick with print books. If you don't like reading on a tablet, just read on your e-reader. Uh, for me, I'll read it anywhere, anytime, on any format. So if I have my phone on me and I'm waiting in line somewhere, or I'm on the subway, that's where I read. Um, if I'm in my apartment and I and I whatever device is handy is what I'll grab. You know, usually it'll be my e-reader. Um, so I, I think that's one of the great things about about ebooks and, and digital reading. Uh, and maybe one day the, there will be a phone and there will be a book that will be perfect for you to, to dive into e-reading, and and uh, it, it'll work for you. But until that day, you can you know go on reading on your reader or or, or paper books. Yes. So speaking of you know mobile phones and tablets and all that jazz, I guess the biggest news of the week was iOS 7 hitting uh, the iPhone, iPad mini, and uh, the iPad uh, line of tablets. And this is a, probably the first major upgrade to the aesthetics, the look and feel of the mobile phone operating system. Have you had a chance to check that out yet? I have not, and I'll tell you why. 
when iOS 6 came out, they had tons of bugs and tons of problems, and I am just waiting until the other shoe drops with iOS 7, maybe a month or two months from now, and, and the signal will be all clear, and then I'll, then I'll switch over. But I have seen how it looks and feels, and, and quite frankly, to me, it reminds me a little bit of Android, uh, a little bit farther in that direction um, than, than what we're used to from Apple. Um, how about you? Yeah, I I think I totally agree that there was a lot of Android elements borrowed from it. I mean, there's a few things that I've been using it since it was released, and so I am not the most technical when it comes to iPhones, but I do like the fact that they've almost adapted these uh, dynamic live wallpapers, and I, I think that for being able to customize your phone, I think that that's a good direction to move in because... If you could have live wallpapers, that means you can have animations going on in the background, which means that you could almost have like these pseudo widgets, like a like a clock in the background, or being able to download new apps that will actually allow you to, um, you know, have those sort of Android live wallpapers that have been so popular that were. There's always animations happening, uh, no matter kind of what you're into, whether it's sports or anime or or comic books. There's there's always like these live wallpapers that allow you a, a heavier customization. And I've heard actually that with iOS 7 that. Apple's releasing the keyboard API. So that might mean in the near future we might see more custom, you know, heavily customizable keyboards from companies like Swipe or SwiftKey that will allow you to change sort of that typing experience. On on a superficial level, I'm not too enamored with like the overall design uh, of it. Um, Some of the cool options like swiping up and being able to, you know, uh, go to flashlight mode or to disable your Wi-Fi. It's it's very easy and it's for me. I find in the past I've had to go through like two or three different submenus to do it. Now I can just do it with like a simple gesture. But I find it's like almost cartoony. Um, just like the color scheme that they use, it almost looks like I don't know. It almost looks like it was designed for kids. Well, maybe it was. Maybe. It wouldn't be a surprise. Yeah. So I find I just can't get past some of the, the color schemes that they're using, but I'm sure after like a few months of using it, I'll forget all about what iOS 6 really looked like, and all I'll know is iOS 7. So we'll see if that's the case. But the reason why I kind of brought this up is because a number of e-reading apps have been updated uh, for the iOS 7 release, most notably Amazon's Kindle. And what it's doing is it's bringing some new functionality such as grouped collections. So if you have a book, say like, um, I don't know, just The Hunger Games, you could actually put it in more than one collection in the past, you can only do it once, so you can put it in your, um, you know, sort of post-apocalyptic collection if you have it, or you could put it like in, um, you know, an author collection and whatnot. So I think that's cool. But I think the biggest news is Amazon officially brought over X-Ray onto iOS 7, and that this is the first time that X-Ray is not in an official Amazon branded device like their dedicated e-reader or their tablet. If you guys aren't familiar with X-Ray, basically it's a feature that will tell you all the main characters in a book, uh, how often they're referenced throughout the book, and you could actually zero in on each particular sentence on each particular page that they're actually mentioned in. And this is pretty solid because 
often people are juggling more than one book at once. You may be reading a book and then a new book comes out and you've been waiting for it for a long time. So you jump into that and come back to your old book maybe like a month later and you may be a little lost. You know, who are the main characters? What's the setting? Where exactly am I? And this is like a good way that you can sort of um, sort of get that info at the touch of a button without having to like reread the book or sort of jump back a few chapters. Uh, X-Ray has been phenomenally popular and I'm kind of waiting for the metrics to come out to see how people are accepting this. Um, and in other news, you know, some companies were woefully unprepared for iOS 7, such as the case of Barnes & Noble, where they actually sent emails out telling people that if you upgrade to iOS 7, don't use our app because it won't work. Yeah, and that's unfortunately uh, not not great. Um, you know, it's not like it will make people say, "Wow, I thought Barnes and Noble was really great. Now I think they're really bad." I mean, maybe some <laughs> people, but it's just part of this longer story of Nook just not really being as on point as Kindle uh, when it comes to keeping up with the latest developments. Um, you know, you you can't imagine that people in at in with inside of Nook didn't know that this was coming. Um, it's possible that they kind of calculated wrong. Maybe they thought the app would work for some reason, um, or that it just kind of fell off the uh, priority chart in terms of other developmental priorities. Because you know these companies are always adding new features and adding new code and working on dozens of projects at once. Um, so I don't know why this happened, but but it's just it's a little bit of a black eye for Barnes and Noble, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when, when these large companies are outpaced by like startups, I kind of worry because Barnes & Noble is really trying to refocus on digital and all their recent shareholder meetings were trying to reaffirm with you know, their, all their big shareholders, both you know, large and small, that they do have a game plan, which I remain... Uh, <laughs> apprehensive about and that they, they kind of like are resetting up a new strategy which again I'm not too sure about um, and then you see things like this happen and it's like you know the, the beta for iOS 7 has been out since almost the beginning of the year so no no developer worth their salt should have been unprepared for this because they've had access to like the beta for months and months and months. And so I don't think there's any excuse to be unprepared for this. Uh, but I guess it's not to slam Barnes & Noble, but you know they, they have seemed to almost be pulling a Sony where they're kind of like falling off of the market, where they're kind of just doing the status quo. They're not really innovating too much anymore. And they're just trying to sell what they got and you know focus on other aspects of the business. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I can't really speculate as to whether that's true. I do talk to people within Barnes and Noble uh, quite often, and you know, none of the people I speak with seem to be giving up on their jobs or giving up on what they're doing. So, you know, the, the rank and file in the company are still plugging away hard at, at at their job of, you know, building that business. But you know, from some of the public things that that Nook does and says or or doesn't do in this case, uh, it's not very encouraging, uh, at least to observers like us and, and to investors. Have you ever seen observers like us actually get solid jobs within these companies and turn them around? Um, no. 
You would <laughs> no, I haven't. You, uh, you know, occasionally you'll see someone who was an analyst, you know, go over to the to the operations side, but I, I can't think of any famous examples um, of, of people who are observing uh, going over and doing a better job um, or turning companies around. It's a lot harder when you're when you're actually there, I'm sure. But you would figure that like the analysts for like e-readers and digital publishing, especially like people like yourself and myself, that this is our life, you know, this is like what we focus on, it's it's what we live and breathe. If there's anybody that knows the digital publishing and e-reader industry as well as anybody else, it's probably us, you know. And so I always kind of, it kind of always boggles my mind when uh, you always hear about these executives that get hired from other companies and they veritably have no experience with, um, you know, innovation or with, you know, a ebooks or anything like that i mean they may have a bit but it's not like they this they haven't been working on this sort of thing non-stop for like five or six years and i always get a bit of a laugh it's like you know why don't companies actually hire analysts that specialize in covering the entire industry because if there's anybody that knows what their competition is doing and and sort of has a fundamental history of the evolutionary growth of the industry, it would be the analysts. So I'm always kind of surprised that um, more analysts aren't actually getting hired by these companies or at least getting contracted to help turn things around. Well, you know, there is one example in book publishing that that we can look at, which is, um, you know, uh, HarperCollins' chief digital officer uh, as of middle of last year, Chantal Rissiovo-Alessi, uh, spent a lot of her career as a, an investment banker and analyst um, analyzing the media industry. So that might be uh, an example to test your theory here. You know, if Chantal can do a really good job with HarperCollins, maybe that, that gives hope for people like you and me to, to get in the game someday. Yeah, totally. It's like you're getting called up to bat. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. So, okay, we, we've talked a lot about a lot of different things today. Uh, what are your final thoughts? Uh, this is a very exciting time right now for ebooks and digital publishing for a number of reasons. First of all, conference season is starting. Next week is the Book Business Conference, which I will be at. Um, Plus, Digital Book World has the conference next week as well on Thursday, our Marketing and Publishing Services Conference, which should be fantastic. Um, and then uh, there are uh, you know myriad media conferences happening in September, October. Then, of course. Uh, Frankfurt in early October, um, uh, the Guadalajara International Book Festival in December, which I'll, I'll be speaking at. Um, so conference season starts, and you know, conference season for us is always exciting because a lot of news happens, a lot of announcements happen, a lot of executives get up on stage and, and say things about their companies, about the industry that, that is always interesting to our readers. Um, and I also think that, that, that we're seeing this is going to be the first holiday season post-DOJ. So, you know, what happens with ebook discounting on on Christmas Day and the day after uh, the day after Christmas? Is it going to go crazy? Is our our, our prices going to go up because people know that they've got a captive audience? Um, I, I don't really know the answer to that question, but I'm definitely going to watch it carefully. Yeah, speaking of Frankfurt, uh, I'm not going myself, but I am sending one of our staff writers to uh, cover it. Uh, just because we've never been there before, and I think it might be a uh, you know a, a good little shindig, you know, another market, and check out more what's happening in uh, Germany, which is a, 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 a rising star in, in the digital uh, publishing space. Germany is one of those like weird dichotomies where 
they're trying to go digital, but the public as a whole is very resistive to it because um, more people are enamored with the, the physical side of things, and it's really sort of hard to get people that have been reading physical newspapers their whole life to switch to digital or have been reading paperbacks their whole life and switching to an e-reader. It's They're trying really hard in Germany to make that happen, but just the public's not accepting it yet. So it'll be very interesting to see uh, sort of like these metrics on what's happened in the first six months of the year. You know, how has uh, e-books in Germany risen or if they've remained pretty well like status quo. So I'm very interested to see like how that will go. And on the Goody Reader side of things, there's a lot of new devices coming out. We just reviewed the new Sony PRST3, which, um, you know, I was kind of happy with, but it's de definitely using uh, yesteryear's tech. And uh, you can check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash goodyreader for all of the video tutorials that we've done, as well as comparisons against the Amazon Paperweight, Kindle, uh, Am uh, the Kobo Aura and a number of other things. I believe that the Kobo Aura actually just goes on sale today uh, at Chapters Indigo and at other retailers. I'm sure that indie bookstores in the States uh, may have them and uh, they're also available on Kobo.com. So uh, new Kobo Aura which is uh, the high resolution 6 inch device is available today. And um, that's about it for now. So you've been listening to the Goody Reader Radio Show with uh, Michael and Jeremy. Everybody take care.